gentlemen, welcome in. Nice to be back with you for one more day as we wrap up the week. And you'll lead into a very exciting opening day coming up on Monday. And uh, we'll be talking about that later, by the way, on this program. Mike Siegel in for Jeff Wagner here at 620 WTMJ. Uh, about 10 o'clock, Matt Polly will join us to give us kind of a prognosis about where the Brewers are, uh, the starting rotation, the bullpen, the lineup, and see how we uh, perceive things as we go into the new season. But first of all, something more serious and problematic, and uh, I want to get your input about this. Because many of you are parents, many of you have teenage children, and this story really touches a nerve for parents in this era of high-tech digital reality that young people know more about than most of us who are in our middle years. Turns out, a 17-year-old boy from Appleton met a 16-year-old girl from Germantown. I say 16 because that's what she told him online that she was. The social media app they were using is called Meow, M-E-O-W, like the cat. They went through several months of texting and also sexting online, which is another whole troublesome area for parents. They met in person for the first time after midnight. Okay, then they're in the back seat of a car Let's just say they were fogging up the windows and they were in a closed Germantown park. Well, the park is closed. Police patrol. Here comes a police car. This officer orders the couple to dress, exit the car, and then answer some questions. Now, get this, because this is the first time the boy learns that the girl is actually 13 years old. They did admit to some sexual contact. Then the police took her clothes as evidence, confiscated, confiscated her iPod, wanted to check for messages, and then brought the girl to a hospital for a rape exam. They arrested the boy, towed his car away, took his clothes, searched his cell phone, and called his father to come and get him. So now four days later, the girl and her mother tell the police... Look, we don't want to press any charges against this young fellow. In spite of that, the case gets referred to prosecutors. Remember, prosecutors can prosecute. Even if a victim of a crime says don't prosecute, the prosecutor can still prosecute because the crime is technically against the state. And so um, the victim really doesn't control that, but the girl and her mother did not want prosecution. Well, a year later, the boys in his first year of college... He's out of state, and now he's charged with third-degree sexual assault. Now, this past Tuesday, a few days ago, now it's almost three years after the incident, he's set to go to trial. And the judge realizes what's going on here. The girl didn't want him prosecuted. The mother didn't want him prosecuted. Judge James Muehlbauer from the bench says the stakes are awfully high. He said it strikes me as unusual this would be proceeding to trial. So the judge is even saying, why are we even going to trial on this thing? So now the defendant pleads guilty to contributing to the delinquency of a minor. It is a felony. 
It does not require sex offender registration, because the original charges would have required that. And that can be expunged from the record. Then he pled guilty to two counts of fourth-degree sexual assault. Those are misdemeanors. So District Attorney Mark Benson says the state's going to argue for a withheld prison sentence, but he would give him six months in jail as a condition of probation. And the prosecutor says he would oppose expunging the record. The defense lawyer, Mr. Birdsall, says, well, I'm going to ask for no jail time and for expungement at the sentencing, which will be in June. The defense attorney says this is classic prosecutorial overreach. And he went on to say this in, in the defense attorney's words. He said, two young teenagers who meet online and were interested in each other should not be subjected to felony convictions or mandatory lifetime sex offender registry reporting. It's a matter that should be dealt with in a more reasonable and family-oriented way. Now, the bottom line, though, there's one question I have for you about whether this young fellow should have ever been prosecuted in the first place, since the girl and her mother didn't want him prosecuted. But the other point is a broader question from this specific case, and that is this meow app came out in early January of 2014. Now, for you parents out there, there's a website called socialsafetypatrol.com. And they monitor these websites. And they say that Meow's threat level is very high for children. It's apparently, according to Social Safety Patrol, is a dating, hookup, chatting with strangers app. And they go on to say, thinking of children and chatting with strangers does not go together. Now... I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. Do you believe, based on what we know, that this young fellow should have been prosecuted? He was underage. He was 17. He thought the girl was 16, which would have changed things entirely. And in her meow profile on that app, the girl said she was 16. She even told the defendant that she went to Germantown High School, which, of course, was not true at the age of 13. Then the Young people exchanged sexually explicit chat, pornographic selfies, did not get together until much later, months later, because they lived far apart. Bottom line question here for all of us is whether parents are diligent enough in monitoring their kids going online. I mean, these young people are way more sophisticated than some parents out there about how to use Websites, chat rooms, email, apps, all of that. Are you as a parent proactive in dealing with your children's going online? Do you monitor that? I mean, if you think about it, you would certainly know, or at least I'd like to think you would know, if your child tried to get into an X-rated movie at the movie theater or maybe even an R-rated movie as a young teenager. But how many parents really do the same with online surfing because it's just as dangerous? I mean, we even have, as you well know, I'm sure, problems with adults having addiction 
to pornographic websites online. So if adults have the problem, obviously kids are going to be uh, kind of voyeuristic and want to get in there and take a look at some of the more, uh, shall we say, extreme websites in this area. want to hear from you about this. Number one, should this young fellow have been charged and forced to plead guilty? Now it affects the rest of his life. The guy's in college. These two young people got together. The girl misleads the boy. They're both underage. And I understand statutory rape doesn't matter what age she tells him. Technically, under statutory rape, uh, you need to be careful and make sure that the age is what the girl says she is. Uh, otherwise, uh, you're going to get into yourself into trouble because you're guilty based on the actual age, not the age she tells you. But really, as the judge said, does this case really belong in prosecution and have the effect of maybe ruining this young fellow's future? Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's get your calls about that. And the second question is whether you as a parent or parents you know, are they dealing with this, are you dealing with this proactively to make sure the young people in your home are not out there putting themselves in dangerous positions as uh, this girl and this boy did on this app called Meow. Mike Siegel in for Jeff. Good to have you with us at 620 WTMJ. Your calls are next. Back we are, folks. Good to have you with us. You know, get to know the people behind the headlines at Insight 2017, hosted by Jeff Wagner at the Country Springs Hotel in Pewaukee on Wednesday. April 19th is the date. See Governor Scott Walker like you've never seen him before. Hear what it's like to live in the executive mansion. What it's like to run for president. How the budget is coming together in Madison. And the real story behind the fight over Act 10. There are only 19 days left until Insight 2017. So get your tickets now and see the full guest list at WTMJ.com. We come back to the conversation about this young fellow and this young girl. Uh, she tells him she's 16 years old on... Uh, a chat they're doing at Meow, an app that uh, uh, is being called now uh, high risk for young people. Uh, she's actually 13. They meet. They're in a car together. They had some sexual contact. Uh, and now the prosecutor's going after the boy. And uh, we're wondering what your thoughts are as to whether he should have been prosecuted since the girl and her mother both said, don't prosecute him. And what about parents generally? being diligent to watch what their kids are doing online. Let's go to, and by the way, numbers 414-799-1620, the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Mark in Waterford, you're on WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Wonderful. Um, I had a similar situation happen to me. Um, met this girl. Uh, she told me she was going to college. Oh, all right, great. I don't know if I'm gullible or what, but um, uh, we were dating, um, having uh, sexual contact the whole nine yard. Uh, turns out that uh, uh, she was still in high school, um, and uh, yeah, uh, it, it was a dirty, rotten bugger. Um, I, I would never go there uh, across the board, uh, but yeah, that's what happened to me. Um, we were at a bar at one point in time, and um, turns out that one of her classmates uh, seen her across the way 
and she was being served alcohol uh, by girlfriend at the point in time, and the girl, uh, uh, her classmate, seen that, and she was like, well, how, how does she get served, and I don't. And, um, well, at that point, I asked her to go to the car and get her um, uh, her ID, and, well, lo and behold, she didn't have her with her. Uh, at least that's what she told me. So, yeah, it's uh, a thing. Now, let me ask you, did... did did anything happen out of that? Did you get prosecuted? Were there any problems? Uh, no, no, not nothing whatsoever. Um, but but uh, for the point you're making, Mark, I think, is that uh, you actually thought she was in college. I'm sure she looked to you to be old enough to be in college. Uh, when you're going to go out with somebody, normally you wouldn't think about checking their ID. Maybe people should, I suppose. But um, And so you just thought she was a college student who had the... Uh, adult status of being over the age of 18. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know how you uh, defend against that unless you do a, uh, excuse me, my voice is kind of terrible today. Um, uh, but what do you do, a background on these people across the board? Well, uh, you know, the, the, the problem nowadays is even, uh, let me ask you, how did you meet this person? Oh, it was a, uh, it was on a boating, um, a friend of a friend. Okay, so it wasn't you didn't meet her online? Oh, no, 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 not, okay. not whatsoever. This, All right. This I, was back, you know, 30 years ago. No, I understand, and uh, I appreciate you calling, and I thank you for calling. Um, 30 years ago, of course, folks, you didn't have the online situation with this instantaneous immediate gratification. I'd love to get other calls. Maybe some of others of you have had the same experience. This fellow innocently thinks the girl's in college. She isn't. She's in high school. And I suppose, theoretically, uh, being under the age of 18, she could have filed a complaint with a prosecutor. And uh, the fact that he thought she was over 18 technically does not exonerate the person. And that's one of the problems about these situations. I mean, you don't want to sit there, as he said, and do background checks. But on the other side of the coin, you need to be careful. But for you parents out there, do you keep an eye on your kids as they go online to these chat rooms, to these apps, to these conversations that get them involved in a way that might be detrimental? We're going to talk a little bit later about an even more serious problem. In this case, the young fellow, it appears to be at least, was perfectly innocent. Even the judge kind of acknowledged that. And um, the girl thought so. The mother thought so. And he gets prosecuted anyway. Should he have been prosecuted? And are you as a parent taking care of your uh, children as they go online and uh, you monitor that uh, for their protection? Good to have you with us. 414-799-1620. That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And it's good to have you here at 620 WTMJ. Mike Siegel for Jeff Wagner. Your calls are next. Stay with us. And back we are. Good to have you with us. You know, folks, one is responsible for some of the biggest development projects in southeastern Wisconsin. The other oversees the state's largest theater company. These two heavy hitters join Scafidi and Billstad Friday's Forum at 2.07 this afternoon. Let's go to Tom and Sheboygan on this case of the young people uh, having some uh, sexual contact and the young fellow getting prosecuted. Tom, go right ahead. I don't want to get off topic, and I don't know much about the story that you're talking about, but... Um 
I can give you an example of a crazy scenario. My brother, um, he was 14. The girl that he was encountering, uh, she was 18. When she got pregnant, my brother um, was held responsible at age 14 because he was underage. Then my parents were actually charged with child neglect and charged and also ordered to pay child support for that child. While nothing happened with the 18-year-old girl, and this is a fact, this is how it happened, and then, uh, so then my brother, once he turned 18, then he was responsible for the um, child support, and that falls under the grandparents' law in the state of Wisconsin, which I've noticed, and this was 22 years ago, and I've noticed that in the most recent years that this isn't the way that things work anymore. I don't know if the law has changed or what, but I think if we had more accountability on the parents' parts and the parents were more involved in the, and I understand social media is crazy and kids have phones. My, my 14 year old has a phone and my six year old wishes she had one, but uh, it's not going to happen. You know, they could do whatever. Not, they that's want. a great point. We've got to get to a break, but I think that story is profound and it really tells this tale about, uh, how sometimes justice does not prevail. Mike Siegel in for Jeff Wagner at 620 WTMJ. Welcome in. Good morning, folks. Good to have you with us. Mike Siegel in for Jeff Wagner today. Just back Monday, he'll be in the dugout, and that should be a lot of fun. Uh, although I'm sure the players at uh, 8.30 in the morning probably won't be there. Although you never know, because the game's at 105 or 110, so uh, they might be getting ready early. Excited for first day, first pitch. Meantime, uh, we're going to wrap it up on the troubling question about kids going online. Uh, these two young people, one 17, one turns out to be 13. The girl, she said she was 16. Uh, he winds up getting prosecuted because they're in a car, admitted to having sexual contact to a police officer. And the prosecutor went after the young man who now is in college. And uh, even the judge was saying uh, he didn't know why this case was even in court. Let me go to wrap it up with uh, Tammy, who patiently waited through the news in Pewaukee. Hello, Tammy. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, good morning. Yep. I think that uh, because everything else is so regulated that it's about time we regulated this very least restricted area of Internet and apps and even Facebook and holding people accountable. And if you were to start getting misdemeanor crimes um, at the least for these solicitations of underage kids, then parents and students would have a clue. In other words, you're saying... Uh have some consequences to the action. Absolutely, because there is not one shred of evidence that allowing this benefits our society. It's a huge burden and a drain, the things that result from this. The, the other part of that, though, I would say, I understand your point, but the other side of that coin is that the parents, that's why I raised the question, really need to be responsible for their kids' behavior online. It's really up to the parents. I agree. I'm very responsible with mine. We have filters at the house. The phone sits on the desk overnight, and the te the texts are checked regularly. Well, that's good. And uh, you're a diligent parent, and we have, if we had more of those, might not have the same problem. Tammy, thank you for holding through the news. I appreciate it. And she's talking about a very legitimate point, which is having consequences for your action. In the meantime, we turn from those two young people, uh, arguably perhaps more innocent than guilty, both of them, uh, but now we have a couple of kids who, uh, when you hear this story, I'm going to be as perplexed as yours to why they would do what they did.
Apparently, they put a post on social media. One of these kids was 17, the other is 14. And the Union Grove High School in Racine County got very nervous about the posts from these kids online. Apparently, the Racine County Communications Center got a call involving potential threats directed toward the school this past Wednesday. And because of those apparent threats, there was a police presence at the school on Thursday. According to the Racine County Sheriff, uh, they're on standby at the school just for added security and safety. The two students did these threatening posts on Twitter. I'll tell you, these... Um, these, these uh, well, Twitter and Instagram and all these, uh, Facebook, they get people in trouble all of the time. People don't know when to t tone it down, so to speak. Anyway, these two kids posted on Twitter about someone getting killed, and it was going to be a great day to be a Bronco, and there was some other apparent chat going back and forth between these two individuals about the threats of violence at the school. So the Racine County Sheriff got an anonymous message, don't know from who, about this. And the sheriff was glad that somebody called, but I don't know. I would think that there'd be some way to monitor this so that when that kind of threat is made, you would think that the system could automatically alert people. We know that the National Security Agency uh, has a bank of computers that if you were to put uh, in the same sentence the word kill and the word president, that that would be kicked out of that computer so fast it'd be like lightning. And uh, the agents, the Secret Service, would get that from the National Security Agency to investigate who would have put those two words in the same sentence about kill and president. Well, same thing here. If we have the word kill, uh, you would think that we could somehow program these websites like Twitter, Facebook, and others to make sure that that gets kicked to the authorities so that uh, they can follow up. In this case, it was lucky that somebody decided to warn the sheriff about this. So they went to the kids' homes, spoke to the parents, searched the homes, confiscated their phones, looked through their social media, and it turned out that this was nothing but a threat, that it wasn't really a plan being put in motion. Nothing more than words, so far as the sheriff's office can tell. And uh, their investigation is going to continue, none nonetheless. Uh, the sheriff said that he wants the message to be heard loud and clear, that he's not going to tolerate that kind of message, a violent threat, and they're not going to ignore it either and that you're going to be arrested and charged if you make those types of threats against places like the Union Grove High School in Racine County. Now, both of these kids have been charged with multiple felonies. In fact, the 14-year-old is now in a juvenile detention center. The 17-year-old is in the Racine County Jail. Meantime, the Union Grove High School issued a statement. Let me share the statement with you, and then I want to get to your calls about what to do about these two kids aged 14 and 17. The school said this, we have worked closely with the Racine County Sheriff's Department regarding the incident. The Sheriff's Office has assured us there was no evidence of a credible threat toward any of the students 
at Union Grove High School. Both individuals were taken into custody, showing the seriousness and responsibility that goes along with placing items on social media, a Twitter account. We appreciate the quick response of the Racine County Sheriff's Department and would again reiterate that at this time there is no evidence of a credible threat. End quote. I might point out that Tammy, who just called, made this point, that there are consequences to your actions. We've gotten away from that in this country to some degree. And now these two are facing the music. One in the juvenile detention center, the other in the Racine County Jail. Uh, 14 and 17, if you can believe it, are the ages. And they've got a bunch of charges that they're facing. Uh, so let me ask you, is it correct in your view that these kids be prosecuted, uh, maybe even as adults? Because you can prosecute a minor as an adult if the court so chooses to do that. Uh, should they be tried as adults for these serious uh, threats, which were not going to be carried out, by the way, or should they get a slap on the wrist, maybe get anger management uh, training or some kind of other counseling or therapy instead of prosecution? What's your direction you would take with these two kids at Union Grove High School? Would you prosecute them or would you give them therapy? And how would what to what degree do you hold the parents accountable? Because as... Somebody said earlier, uh, parents get hold, held accountable uh, for their children's behavior on occasion. Number is 414-799-1620, 414-799-1620. Uh, that is, of course, as you well know, is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And uh, good to have you with us. Mike Siegel in for Jeff Wagner today, Friday. And uh, glad to get your calls. Again, if you're a parent, uh, these are kids ages 17 and 14. What should be done about them, prosecution or therapy? at 620 WTMJ. Welcome back in. Nice to be with you. Jeff Wagner's off today. He comes back Monday for the opening day in the dugout. Mike Siegel here for today. I hope you have a great weekend, too. In the meantime, let's get to your calls on these two young people, ages 14 and 17, made threats against Union Grove High School in Racine County. Uh, they're going to be apparently prosecuted. They're both incarcerated at the moment, one in a juvenile detention center, one in the Racine County Jail. Adam and Mequon. Hello, Adam. You're on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, how you doing? Good. Um, these kids are underage, and that means to me the parents are culpable. What they should do is first go after the parents and bankrupt them financially with a huge fine. Maybe not jail time, but I'll tell you, at that age or even younger, my dad would have beaten me half to death if I would have done something like this. And I had the fear, he put the fear of God in me that I wouldn't dare do anything that even came close to approaching this. And that there's so many instances of this kind of thing. They had parents, they were raised by people, let the people that are the adults, and they're, they're, they're responsible for the kids, hit the parents first, and then do something to the kids as well. Now, I don't, I don't get where kids get this in their mind. Where do they get this from about killing somebody? Use the word kill. Where does it come from? Peers, they listen to the peers, and and instead of being raised by your parents, the schools are raising the kids as cattle. I honestly feel that the parents need to take more responsibility. If there's only one parent, then you bankrupt the one parent with a huge fine. Maybe not bankrupt them, but make it financially painful for them to be stupid about how they raise it. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with you about uh, making it painful so they remember I wouldn't uh, go as far as to say bankrupt them simply because they still have to raise that kid, and now they're going to be put behind the eight ball not being able to afford to raise the kid. So it, it, it works at cross-purposes. But, yeah, there should be, there's got to be consequences. 
uh, too much in the society today, we've gotten away from consequences for your actions. And uh, in this case, the sheriff's not allowing that to happen. And uh, these kids apparently will be prosecuted. And the parents need to be held accountable as well. Appreciate the call, Adam. Thank you very kindly. And, yeah, my father wouldn't have tolerated that for me either. I mean, I never would have thought of doing anything like that. Christian in Whitewater. Hey, Christian, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello, good morning. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I definitely think that they should be prosecuted and there should be definitely a punishment. However, with times changing now, I think that the schools need to adapt. So therefore, I feel like in the beginning of the school year, they need to hold some type of, you know, meeting in the auditorium, get all the students in there and say, hey, you know what, with all these social media things going on now, because these kids, they'll, they'll, they'll say something on Twitter, you know, not think twice about it. And then say something that'll, you know, ruin their life. They'll get a felony, you know, and these things will ruin their life. So you got to educate these kids and say, hey, you know what? If you feel like saying something like that online, just just know that there's going to be consequences. But I just feel like now with times changing, there's got to be a way to educate the students so that ahead of time they know the consequences before, you know, it just hits them. That's a very important point, uh, Christian, because uh, uh, due process under the Constitution requires notice, meaning that you have notice of um, what the problem was, that w that we need to know that if you do a certain behavior, uh, it, it could be criminal, it could be illegal, it could be uh, fine, punishment, imprisonment. Uh, so, yeah, we the Constitution requires that we have notice of those things, and, uh, and that's very important. Uh, but I think the point of the consequence is also important as well. Good to have you with us. Appreciate the call. We're at 414-799-1620. Glad to get your calls on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you parents think out there? Should these two kids be prosecuted, or should they get some form of therapy uh, to understand what they did? And should the uh, should Twitter, Facebook, Instagram be required to somehow program their uh, sites so that if somebody uses the word murder or kill or maim or rape or whatever criminal act, the arson, whatever it might be, that that automatically gets kicked out and that uh, that organization, whether it's, again, Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or others, that they would then send that to the local authority in the area where the threat was being made. Because the sheriff can't sit there and read Twitter all day. He's got work to do. Uh, so what do you think about that, requiring them to make that available uh, to local authorities? Again, the number is 414-799-1620. At the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Tux Line, Mike Siegel with you for Jeff Wagner at 620 WTMJ. Back we are. Good to have you with us. Mike Siegel in for Jeff Wagner at 620 WTMJ. You know, she's a former Miss America from right here in southeastern Wisconsin, and she's back in town. Laura Kepler sits down with John Mercure at 3.20 today during Wisconsin's Afternoon News. You'll be there and uh, enjoy that very much. Uh, I, I just get very, as a former public school teacher, not a parent, but a teacher, it gets very distressing to me to watch all this technology and to see how young people, number one, are able to negotiate this technology probably better than any adult know how to get where they want to get to the chat rooms, uh, to the uh, uh, Twitters and Instagrams and Facebooks, and to put things there, and they don't think about the consequence. We see adults doing that. We've seen the president do that with some comments that he might have wanted to walk back on occasion. Uh, we've seen athletes 
over and over again get themselves in trouble. I remember one uh, NFL player talked about Bin Laden uh, being a, a, something along the lines of being for his people. And uh, frankly, he, he got a lot of chastisement for that, and he had to back off that statement. So these, these things, uh, kids ought to learn that you just don't say things online uh, like threatening with the word kill. Uh, and then not expect any consequence. Nancy in Milwaukee. Hello, Nancy. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. Um, sure. I'm wondering, first of all, the gentleman that commented about the school should be responsible for having a big conference and everything, telling the kids they should do this, they shouldn't do that. And Well, the kids got the phones from the parents, right? The parents supply the phone. They bought the phone for their children. The parents should set rules. This is what you can do. I don't want you doing this. And what are you doing on that phone? Let's have some communication. And if the kids have a problem at school, why aren't they talking to the parents? Oh, Mom, you know, I had a really rough day, or Dad, or, you know, if the Mom and Dad don't have time, where's the extended family? Call Grandma. Call Auntie. Why? We're placing all this responsibility on the schools to raise our kids, the police. The police are not guardians of our children. Yes, they are. They guard us all, but they are not the parents. The parents need to take responsibility. Why are these kids not in school? Why are they stealing cars and shooting people that are doing their job? Where are the parents? If the parents can't handle it, the parents need to step up and say, hey, you know, maybe grandma or grandpa needs to get involved. Or let's communicate. Let well, us- either that or even social services from the city, county, or state. But you're right. It, ultimately, the parents have to be the ones who take responsibility for raising their children. I mean, uh, right, look. If- what kind of upbringing are they? Obviously, if your kids are going out doing this, you're not a very good parent. Because I would say, if I were those two kids. Ki- to church on Sunday? Are you taking them to, to scouts? Are you uh, getting sure that they're involved in, in sports or activities at their school? Do you like your school? What's wrong with your school? Let's talk about it. You got a problem with a teacher? Let's go have a conference. It all starts with communication. I appreciate the call, and you're right on point. It is the parents where it starts, and it could end with the parents. Uh, the police should be there as a backup. They can't raise your kids. The, the school can't raise your kids. As a former public school teacher, I can tell you that myself. Uh, you've got to have parental cooperation, and communication is key. In the meantime, appreciate uh, all the comments. We'll come right back to more conversation. Jeff, Mike Siegel for Jeff Wagner. Welcome back in, folks. Good to have you with us. Mike Siegel for Jeff Wagner today at 620 WTMJ. Coming up to 934... Let me remind you, get to know the people behind the headlines at Insight 2017. That'll be hosted by Jeff Wagner at the Country Springs Hotel in Pewaukee on Wednesday, April 19th. You'll see Governor Scott Walker like you've never seen him before. Hear what it's like to live in the executive mansion, what it's like to run for president, how the budget is coming together in Madison, and the real story behind the fight over Act 10. There are only 19 days left until Insight 2017. Get your tickets now. And see the full guest list at WTMJ.com. And you'll be very glad you did, for sure. In the meantime, 
very interesting. More young people involved. We're doing a lot of young people here this morning. Um, some not so good. Some troubling. Uh, this one kind of interesting. You'll remember, I think, that sometime about a week ago, United Airlines excluded a couple passengers from a flight because of the leggings they were wearing. Uh, too provocative. Not uh, appropriate. And actually, uh, these were people flying uh, for free because they had uh, parents who worked at United and uh, children fly free for the, for the children of employees of United Airlines. And most of the airlines do the same. And so there was a lot of controversy about that. Well, it's come to Kenosha. The Kenosha Unified School District has a uniform policy. Now, they allow leggings to be worn under the dress or the skirt or the shorts or tunics, but not on their own. And that was the problem on United, is that these young people wore these leggings on their own. Now the mother of two students is fighting to allow yoga pants and leggings to be worn as bottoms. In other words, she wants the Kenosha Unified School District to change its policy. The mother claims that the policy of the Kenosha School District is, in fact, a form of gender oppression. Now, again, here's uh, another story for parents and for everyone, because we all pay taxes to support the public schools. And as I mentioned, Kenosha has a uniform policy, and they do allow the leggings, but only under a dress or a skirt or shorts or tunic. Can't just wear the leggings without having them covered. So the question now becomes... Should this policy be changed? I, I, I'm not sure why the mother wants to do that. That the leggings should be out there bare. Is, is there any... Now, she claims it's a gender oppression. I'm not sure that that's the case. I think there is appropriate dress, whether you're male or female. And maybe I'm too traditional... But for young people to be in a provocative attire that uh, causes attention to their torso doesn't seem to me to be what a school is all about. And if a parent wants to change that policy so that the leggings can be worn without being covered at all, then I wonder, what else is that parent doing in the way they raise that child in terms of maybe being too accepting or too liberal, if you will, about uh, the way their child behaves? And what's the point? Does the mother want to live through her daughter? Because the daughter, I'm, I've never seen any of these kids, but is the daughter attractive so that the mother wants boys to pay attention to her daughter? Is that a healthy 
attitude on the part of a mother? I think not. The point about school is going to school, getting an education, and in a healthy way, having social interaction with boys. When you start getting into uh, sexually enticing attire and the parents encouraging that, not only encouraging it, but actually fighting the school district on its own policy. So what are your thoughts about that? Is this gender oppression for the school to say no bare leggings, that they must be covered? Now, you can wear them, but you've got to cover them. And if it was good enough for United Airlines to say, listen, number one, you're flying free. Number two, you're taking advantage by dressing inappropriately with these leggings, so you're not flying. They took them off, the captain took them off the airplane. If it's good enough for an airline, why shouldn't it be good enough for a school? And wouldn't you think you would want some restraint in dress at public school? In fact, I would go so far as to say, and people can agree or disagree about this, I think uniforms are great. I think the, uh, in those schools where they have uniforms where the boy, all the boys wear the same uh, sport jacket and slacks, maybe a tie, maybe an open shirt, and the girls wear the same dresses to match the color, the school colors and uh, to make them non-provocative, that the idea of having a school dress code of that kind, to me, makes sense. Because the kids then have something to aspire to. They've got a standard. And believe it or not, they will respond very successfully to a school saying, we want you to wear this outfit. Um, I just think that makes all the sense in the world. Okay, Dave and Racine, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning to you. Good morning. I agree with you. Uh, there is no gender whatsoever involved. I think society today has run amok. Uh, we've got uh, legislators in Madison that say, okay, everybody go out and buy a gun. we got mothers uh, that let their kids go to school like that. Uh, what does that mother wear when she goes to work? What kind of example is she sending? When I That's was growing question. up, I grew up on a farm, and boy, if I did it wrong, did I hear about it and did I feel it. That's what we need today. Well, you know, you're, you're right, uh, Dave, and I appreciate the call, and I thank you, because at least in my view and, and, uh, and his, obviously, there have to be standards. Now, if that mother wants to let that perhaps 16-year-old, this is a high school, uh, wear bare leggings when she goes out uh, to a movie uh, on a Friday night or to the mall or whatever, that's between the mother and daughter. Uh, I would still say it's irresponsible because why would you want to send your child out in bare leggings, no matter how attractive, and maybe the more attractive, the bigger the problem, because then you're going to have guys take notice in ways they otherwise would not. I mean, why do you want to get into that kind of trouble? Now, let me just say, it doesn't justify anything on the part of a, of a male to attack that girl. Obviously, that's a crime. Uh, no quarter should be spared, and they should be prosecuted. But if you put yourself in a position as an underage teenage girl uh, to be noticed sexually then bad things can happen. doesn't justify them, but they can happen. And why would the mother want to put her in that position? 
what message is the mother sending, for that matter? Want to get more of your calls, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And it's good to have you with us here. Jeff Wagner's off today. He'll be back Monday. Mike Siegel in for the day as we continue along. Your calls are next. Let's hear from you, particularly you parents, at 620 WTMJ. We are good to have you with us. Mike Siegel in for Jeff Wagner today. He comes back Monday. Broadcasting right from the dugout, by the way, uh, at opening day at uh, for the Brewers. Meantime, don't forget, Master Magician. And delusionist David Blaine is coming to Milwaukee. He'll take the stage at the Riverside Theater on June 19th. Now, you could be there to witness the magic. Tune in today to Scafidi and Billstad, 4 at 1, for your chance to score a pair of tickets. And uh, be sure to catch these two guys, the great Scafidi and Billstad, uh, right here at 620 WTMJ. Meantime, back to your calls about uh, the mother fighting the Kenosha Unified School District saying that she wants her daughter to be able to wear bare leggings to school. I mean, why should the mother have control over the dress policy at a, at a school district? And uh, why does she want to have her daughter wear bare leggings anyway as a teenager? Sue in Chicago. Hi, you're on 620 WTMJ, Sue. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I teach at one of the major high schools there in Kenosha. And i got to say that if you are focusing on this one parent who happens to out but I believe it's all parents because the leggings in school are just pervasive there is no way that we can take time out of our teaching to to address how these kids are dressed in many cases we are just happy that they're there because we're fighting so many other issues with low income and not getting enough food and not getting enough sleep and split homes and all that. It's really, I've seen boys look at a girl in a legging exactly the same way that a boy looks at a girl in a long, flowing maxi dress. It is not, it has just, the world has changed. And I am older, I am about to retire, so I'm not, I'm not a young liberal who's backing this dress trend. I'm just being realistic that it is pervasive, and we can't fight it. We might well, as well just be happy they're in school. Sue, I agree with you about the fact that you as a teacher should not have to deal with this. I don't think the teacher in the classroom uh, can control this, and it shouldn't be the teacher. It should be the school policy. But I also think that the school can set the standard. And, look, if they have a policy in Kenosha, that you cannot wear bare leggings, then if the child shows up, and they are children under the law, if the child shows up in bare leggings, the uh, principal stands there or the disciplinarian or the vice principal and uh, says to uh, Sue or Jane or Joan or Tammy or whomever, a uh, young lady, go back home and dress properly, cover those leggings and come right on back to school. We'd love to have you. That's what the, the policy ought to be done, uh, how it ought to be done. A wonderful uh, utopian society if that's what happens. But we have, just the other night, we had parent conferences. We also have a no hat in the building policy. My principal said to a child, and the parents stood right there and, and backed this up, my principal said to a child there at conferences, it's okay to have your hat on. 
so it's just it's not i get what you're saying i totally i agree it should be on the administrators but it's not and i think as a society we we should not focus in on this one parent who happens to be speaking up well you know the one thing i would say to you sue the frustration and i was a public school teacher for four years fifth and seventh grades and i'm just simply going to tell you that principals are more about covering their posterior ends rather than doing the right thing. Period. Um, that's typical. Now, there are exceptions. But uh, an administrator at a school is not going to want to get into a harsh debate with parents because then the parents are going to wind up going to the superintendent uh, and it shows that the principal doesn't have control of his or her own school. And uh, all of a sudden, the superintendent comes down on the principal. So the principal just kind of goes along to get along. Would you agree with that? Exactly why we have this across the board, all grade levels, they are getting away with wearing this clothing. You described it perfectly. It is the administrators that are not pushing the policy. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Sue, very much, and uh, congratulations on a great teaching career. Now enjoy your retirement. That's, that's coming up shortly. Uh, Mike in Milwaukee, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, hey, I'm, uh, well, first off, I don't agree with the legging thing. Uh, they should be covered up. Uh, secondly, this business about it's uh, discriminatory based on gender. Uh, hey, my kid can't go to, my son can't go to school just with his long underwear on. Um, you know, uh, if he could, I'd just send him out the door without any pants. You know, <laughs> you know I, I hear uh, you, Mike, and it's it's uh, very quickly. Go ahead, wrap it up. Oh, okay. Well, um, the the uniform thing goes uh, beyond just uh, the the fact that there's dress code, particularly when you have a lot of different uh, social classes in a school. Uh, clothes can become a real demarcation of, of uh, differences and, and, you know, in crowd. And, you know, I've got the $80 jeans on and that kid's got jeans on from, you know, Walmart or something. Uh, that that eliminates all that with school uniforms. I can't tell you how many parents have balked at school uniforms and once they get into a uniform situation, they realize they're not spending an arm and a leg with their kids trying to keep up with somebody. Uh, Boy, that's a, that's a great. Thank you for calling. Mike, that's a great point, uh, and, and that's reality, is that uh, the, the dress becomes uh, a level of uh, one-upsmanship between the kids, prestige and all that, and uh, having one dress code with one set of what's required eliminates that. He's absolutely correct. Mike Siegel in for Jeff Wagner here at 620 WTMJ. We are good to have you with us, Mike Siegel for Jeff Wagner at 620 WTMJ. It seems to me, as Sue in Chicago called talking about her teaching in Kenosha, and the fact that principals go along to get along, and the fact that there is not a strong stance taken to hold kids accountable to, in this case, a dress policy is part of what's wrong in the way education takes place and the way our culture has changed. So many of you have called during this segment of the program talking about 
and even earlier, talking about your parents and their expectations of you, the accountability that was expected of you as a child. You knew where you stood. You knew there were consequences from your parents if something were done by you that were inappropriate or wrong, irresponsible, reckless. I'll never forget on graduation night from high school, I went with a friend up to, uh, we, I was living in New Jersey, and New Jersey had a 21-year-old drinking age, so we drove up uh, with uh, in our my friend and I in one car, a bunch of other people met us at a bar in a rural area in New York State. And we drove up there and uh, spent the evening celebrating our graduation. I got home at 3 in the morning, uh, totally uh, staggering. And my father gave me a whack across the face, I feel to this day. May he rest in peace. I knew how much he loved me, and uh, it was un unqualified love, and I knew why he did that. And I accepted it because I was wrong. My mother was all upset. Where is he at 3 o'clock in the morning? And there were consequences for me. And parents today, in some cases at least, don't seem to have those consequences. And here's a woman wanting to encourage her daughter to wear leggings without any cover. Makes no sense to me. Mike Siegel in for Jeff Wagner at 620 WTMJ. And welcome back in. Good to have you with us, folks, and a good morning to you. 10.08 it is at 620 WTMJ. And now we have some fun. Hopefully in an optimistic beginning of a successful season for the Milwaukee Brewers. Matt Pauley, our sports guru, is here. Matt, good morning. Thanks for joining us today. You bet. Let's uh, get to uh, where the Brewers stand at the moment. Uh, the starting rotation is up in the air. They've got uh, Junior Guerra starting, then Zach Davies, Peralta, Matt Garza supposedly, and Jimmy Nelson. But now Garza is out for 10 days. Do we know whether that really is only 10 days, or could that be a longer term? Yeah, that's probably going to be a longer term than that. I bet he starts throwing again at the end of April, and then uh, he would go on a minor league rehab assignment at that point in time. So we're looking, I would say, month and a half minimum until we maybe see Matt Garza again. But quite honestly, it's probably a good thing. They're trying to kind of convert him from being a fastball-based pitcher to being someone who throws a lot more breaking stuff and that wasn't going so well for him during the course of spring. So what this does, it, is, it essentially buys him another month pitching in the minor leagues once he's healthy, and hopefully that, that evolution can, can happen for him and he can become a successful pitcher. He may have started the season in the starting rotation. That's what everybody is saying. But quite honestly, he was not one of the best five pitchers during spring training for the Brewers. You know, it's, it, he's puzzling to me because... Um, on occasion, he pitches an outstanding game. It's just never been consistent. Uh, he's got good stuff, but he doesn't execute always uh, as as well as he potentially can. Uh, might that be focus and concentration, or is it just that he doesn't? He's losing the talent. Uh, I, you know, that, that's the million dollar question right there. He's he's just a guy who hasn't lived up to expectations. I mean, my goodness, he's going to get paid thirteen million dollars this year. Uh, one of the highest paid players on a team that doesn't have much of a payroll. And from the moment he joined the team, he just, he, he just wasn't on. And, and sometimes, uh, sometimes the pitch selection or I guess like maybe, you know, fastball command hasn't always been there for him. He's walked too many guys. Uh, sometimes there's just a, there's a level of competitiveness that you don't really see with him. It's a, it's a great mystery as to why the Matt Garza signing has been a failure for the Brewers. 
left-handers are always important in a bullpen. Uh, Tommy Malone's going to be with the team. Might he wind up starting? Yeah, he was brought in as a guy who was competing for the starting rotation. The Garza situation may have saved his job because Chase Anderson was probably going to be in the bullpen, and that might have resulted in Tommy Malone not having a job. Now he gets to stick around. And you're right when you say he's a left-hander in the bullpen, but when you look at his career splits, He's not especially good against left-handers. So I, I don't think he comes in as the guy that you bring in in the eighth inning to go face a, a top left-handed hitter of the opponent. He's going to be that long-relief guy, a mop-up type guy in the bullpen, and also somebody that if, if multiple guys fail in the starting rotation, you've got him sitting there where you can maybe give him an opportunity. If somebody from uh, St. Louis or Pittsburgh or Cincinnati were to say, hey, you know, Matt, we're looking at this starting rotation, not very impressive. What would you say? I would say that the top of the rotation is pretty darn good with Junior Guerra and Zach Davies. And beyond that, I would say the starting rotation is not a strength of this Brewers team. I would tend to agree. Uh, the Brewers, I think the Brewers are going to exceed expectations this year. I think there's guys who can, who can take a step forward. But look at Chase Anderson, you know, still waiting for him to be uh, a bit more consistent. Uh, Willie Peralta. Can we? Are we going to see the Willie Peralta of two years ago, or the, or the guy that was in at the last half of last year, or the Willie Peralta who began the year last year? So while I've got, while I'll hold out hope that some of these, you know, the three, four, five starters can take that step forward. A Jimmy Nelson last year who really struggled in the second half of the season. There's absolutely no guarantee that they're going to be able to do that. So if you look at all the different area groups of the Brewers. I think starting rotation uh, definitely is not their strongest uh, position. Let's talk about the bullpen. You've got Neftali Feliz, of course, Corey Neville, Carlos Torres, uh, Marinez. Um, how does that look? And uh, might they add somebody down there in the pen? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a group that's changed a lot. I mean, when you consider last year at this time, uh, you were going in with Jeremy Jeffress and Will Smith and, and, and Youngman and, or other, uh, and Thornburg, and all of a sudden all those guys are gone. This group has completely turned over. Uh, Neftali Feliz is going to be the guy of the back end, and he's going to be the closer, and he's going to be given every opportunity to be the closer, and he was kind of the big acquisition during the course of the year. The question beyond that is, the guys who performed well last year, can they take that next step forward? Will Corey Knable be able to take his good moments from last season and all of a sudden become a quality seventh or eighth inning guy this year and maybe a closer of the future. Uh, Jacob Barnes, I don't think he's probably going to start the season with the club, but he was really good down the stretch of last season. Is he going to be able to get back up and put up those numbers? Can Carlos Torres repeat what he did last year, having a, a sub-three ERA and, a, and an absolute rubber arm where he just kept coming back to pitch uh, seemingly every day? This bullpen group is a really interesting group because of the young guys that are there and the potential that you've got. Uh, but sometimes it's not about potential. It's about can they go out and do the job. And how many games this team wins this year is going to be determined largely by some of these guys in the bullpen being put into uh, positions and situations that maybe they haven't been in previously. Neftali Feliz, uh, to me, becomes the question mark. He was once unhittable. Um, and he's not been what he was. Uh, what's your What's your sense about where he's going to be this year? Yeah, I think he's going to do a nice job. Is he going to be the guy that uh, that he was, like you made reference to? I mean, at, you look at some of his numbers back in uh, 2014. He had a sub two ERA. I mean, he's striking guys out. I remember seeing him in the minor leagues. I spent uh, ten years 
broadcasting minor league baseball, and I remember him pitching uh, for uh, for Clinton in the Midwest League many, many, many years ago, and, and how exciting he was then, and he lived up to his potential. He's been banged up, he's, he's dealt with injuries, but even last year, I mean, when he was uh, when he was pitching with the Pirates last year, he had an ERA at three and a half. That wasn't that's not horrible. That's that's fine, and he still wasn't 100 percent healthy. So. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what to expect from him at the beginning of the year. His spring was okay, and I, I think as the year goes along, he's going to get better and better. And who knows, maybe this turns into a situation where they're able to spin him back off at the trade deadline and bring in some more prospects. He probably doesn't have a long-term future with the Brewers, so if he can put together three, four months and be a very good closer, uh, there's going to be opportunities for the Brewers to trade him back away at the trade deadline. And maybe get some good return, as you point out, with some prospects. We'll come right back with Matt Pauley and uh, continue the conversation about the Brewers and uh, what their prospects are and strengths and weaknesses and all of that. Uh, opening day, of course, is Monday, and Jeff Wagner's in the dugout Monday morning starting at 835. Good to have you with us on a Friday. Mike Siegel in for Jeff today at 620 WTMJ. We're back at it. Good to have you with us. Matt Pauley here with me, Mike Siegel, and for Jeff Wagner. And uh, great to be with all of you coming up at the moment to 1018. Uh, Matt, uh, let me turn to uh, a couple of comments from the general manager, David Stern, and then also from Craig Council. Stern says, we have a lot of balls in the air internally and externally. We don't have to make those decisions yet. Uh, that that sounds to maybe a little nerve-wracking because a lot of the teams are pretty much in place as to where they want to be. It doesn't sound like he's where he wants to be yet, David Stearns. Well, he has shown that he is always keeping an eye on the waiver wire. I mean, last year over the first three months of the season, it seemed like that last spot in the bullpen was always just rolling over with guys that they claimed off waivers. And even during the course of the off offseason, uh, that 40-man roster was in flux throughout the year where guys were being claimed, and then somebody else that they liked better became available, and they went and claimed him, so somebody else ends up going away. Last year, this is about the one-year anniversary of Carlos Torres being claimed off waivers from the Braves last year, so they're, they're not afraid to make moves and it's something that they're it's going to you know they're they're trying to improve and when you win 73 games last year when the prognosticators say you're going to be in the same area this year that means there's room for improvement and they're always going to be looking around for for guys that they can bring in i mean david stearns constantly 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 talks about the fact that his job is to acquire talent and then to keep talent as well. But the first part of that is acquiring talent, and uh, they absolutely try to do that at any opportunity that they get. You know, the um, and this is obviously one of the problems of being a mid-market. Uh, many teams struggle with the same problems. Uh, they lost Jonathan Lucroy, uh, an all-star catcher. Uh, Jonathan VR is back. Uh, he, might, uh, he might do well. He's certainly excited about playing second base. They lost Chris Carter. I had 41 home runs, led the National League. Um, and, of course, the team was sixth in the NL and ERA, which was really good. So not clear about what's going to happen, as you pointed out, down in the bullpen. But with losing Lucroy and Chris Carter, uh, a lot more is obviously going to go on the shoulders of Ryan Braun. And uh, VR has got to come up with a great year. Uh, how does that offense look? Yeah, that's, that's going to be a lot of fun. And, and you know, when you talk about those guys, 
they let Chris Carter walk away because he was arbitration eligible and they didn't think that it was worth $10 million. And they go out and they get Eric Thames for first base and they're paying him a whole lot less than they would have had to pay Chris Carter. Uh, the Jonathan Lucroy trade last year really sets up this organization going forward because of the prospects that they get back, namely Lewis Brinson, who will make his debut at some point uh, this year. But offensively, this season, you know what you have in Ryan Braun, and there's a lot of potential in other spots. And you mentioned Jonathan VR, and everything would say he's going to be able to put up good numbers like he did last year. But that was the first. Hit. That was his first full season in the big league. So you, know, you can count on Braun for some things. I'm I'm optimistic about what Jonathan VR is going to do. But there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee with Eric Thames at first base coming over from Korea. There's no guarantee with uh, with Shaw over at uh, third base, who uh, last season was really his first full season in the big leagues, and uh, he kind of uh, slowed down at the end of the year with the Red Sox before he was acquired. So much optimism about Keon Broxton in center field based up what he did during the final month of the season last year. But again, it was the it was the final month. Now, if you go look at spring training numbers as an indication of what these guys might do, most of those guys had really good springs. Keon Broxton hit three thirty three uh, during the course of spring. Travis Shaw hit three thirty three uh, during spring. So there's a chance for this team to be very good. They've got they have solid power. Uh, you know, their their spring training numbers. Uh, they went out and they hit a whole bunch of home runs, 48 of them. I think that was second to only the Cubs. But some spring training numbers only tell you so much. And uh, this team offensively, uh, once again, they're going to be a team that tries to get on base. They're going to try to steal bases. And uh, they're going to try to cultivate runs in what other, whatever way they possibly can. You know, the uh, though, as you well know, obviously, there was a lot of talk about Ryan Braun going to the Dodgers. Uh, it never got done. Um, I'll just ask it, should uh, David Stearns have uh, made a more proactive uh, decision to trade Ryan Braun, get the best uh, in terms of prospects that he could, because he's really not going to be the future, and this is a young team now. Yeah, you know, I think I think they were proactive, but you also don't give Ryan Braun away for nothing. They, they had to get a good return. And something that a lot of people don't realize is uh, Braun has a big salary. He's, he's the highest-paid player. But when you start to compare the numbers that Braun puts up versus those same numbers being put up by other players in Major League Baseball and the amount of money that those guys are being paid, you can make the argument that Ryan Braun is actually a bargain. So it's not like you're trying to dish off his contract because he's making too much money. So if you're going to trade Braun, you've got to get a really, really good package of players back for him. And Stearns has shown the ability to get good players back. We saw that in the Lucroy deal last year. Braun's still got a few years left on his contract, and I'd love to see him to, uh, after he had to play through these rough years, for him to still be around with his team is back playing in the postseason. Now, he's got a limited no-trade. There's only a handful of teams that he can be traded to, and the Dodgers are one of them. And here in the first month or so of the season, he's going to have five and ten rights, which is where you have ten years in Major League Baseball and five years with one team. And at that point, you have a full no-trade clause. So unless they trade him in the next month or so, which I don't think is going to happen, uh, Braun could veto any trade to any team in baseball. You know, uh, uh, unfortunately, I'll have to admit as a Dodger fan, Andre Ethier is down again, could be out for a while. Uh, I suppose it's not beyond the realm of the possible that in July, uh, the Dodgers anticipate being in the run, obviously, that uh, if they need an outfielder, uh, there might be 
there could be something cooking there, would you think? Yeah, I think that's going to be one of the handful of teams that uh, that look at him. And, you know, Braun, I think, is very content staying in Milwaukee if he were to get traded. The Dodgers are obviously a team that makes sense on multiple levels, uh, being from that area, a team that's contending for a championship on an every-year basis. Uh, so if, if the Dodgers are in need of an outfielder, just kind of the same way they were last year, I'm sure those conversations will continue. And even though Braun can veto moves, it doesn't mean he's going to veto moves. Uh, and f- final point, um, they've got only four reserve players, uh, 12 pitchers starting, uh, starting in, I guess, and four guys on the bench, three catchers and four outfielders. Are they too thin? No, because you got guys who can play so many different positions. You know, an Aaron Perez can go play all over the place. So when you have an Aaron Perez on your team, it's almost like you have more bench guys. And I, that the the alignment between bullpen guys and bench players is the way it is to start the season because they don't have a lot of off days to start the year. That might change as the season goes along. A guy who really had a good spring was Ivan DeJesus Jr. Uh, he's been he's been told he'll go to AAA. He's allowed to go search for a job somewhere else, and if he gets a major league offer with another team, his contract allows him to basically opt out and go there. If that doesn't happen and he's sitting at AAA, as the schedule kind of starts to shift around and you start having enough off days, I think very easily the Brewers could kind of flip it and have an extra bench guy and take the bullpen, excuse well, me, well, the bullpen guy away. Yeah, well, you know, and, and that would be interesting to watch. What will be interesting to watch, too, is Jonathan Villar says he wants a gold glove. So it would be kind of fun to root for that uh, at second base, moving over from third base. We'll see how that plays out. Yeah, we will. Uh, he was not especially good defensively last year at shortstop and really wasn't good defensively uh, at third. He's still a young player, and he can still develop a lot. And second baseman, obviously, uh, doesn't take the skill of shortstop or, or third base. Uh, I'm more worried about him going out, continuing to steal bases, continuing to hit for average, and even have a little bit of pop. I mean, he can be a 20-home run guy as well. So with all due respect to Jonathan VR, I appreciate the gold glove talk. That's not the first thing on my list for VR to accomplish this season. <laughs> Matt, uh, great uh, great insights. I appreciate it very much. And uh, good luck Monday covering that uh, opening day and for the whole season. Thanks for being here. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Take care. Matt Pauley and uh, great insights on the Brewers. We'll see how it plays out. Don't forget, Jeff will be there in the dugout Monday morning beginning at 835. We're coming up now to 1027 at 620 WTMJ. Welcome back. Good to have you with us. Mike Siegel for Jeff Wagner. And a good morning to you as we move right along. Meet the people behind the headlines at Insight 2017, hosted by Jeff Wagner at the Country Springs Hotel in Pewaukee on Wednesday. It'll be April 19th on the eve of the 50th Summerfest. You'll see Jeff in a rare sit-down interview with Bob Bassett, Babich, and Don Smiley. What's in store for this Milestone Summerfest? Well, surprises are yet to come. And how can they possibly top having the Rolling Stones and Paul McCartney on the main stage the last two years? There are only 19 days left until Insight 2017, so get your tickets now. And you see the full guest list at WTMJ.com. And it'll be a great event, as it always is. What's not a great event is what the Milwaukee School Board has done, as you heard Jane talking about it. Last night, they voted 8 to nothing to make the Milwaukee School District a safe haven for illegal aliens. And let me make this very clear. 
uh, to call them undocumented is sanitizing the truth. And when the mainstream media want to talk about journalism and accurately telling a story, calling somebody undocumented is not telling the story. Title 8, Section 1325 of the U.S. Code states specifically that if you enter this country without authorization, you are subject to the possibility of six months behind bars for the first offense and two years behind bars for the second offense. That conjures up, in my mind, criminal activity. And so these are, under that law, illegal aliens. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we just had, in Montgomery County, Maryland, a horrific event, which I'm sure you're aware of, where a 14-year-old girl was allegedly raped by a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old attending that school, both of them illegal aliens. First of all, what's an 18-year-old doing in the ninth grade, which is where he was? Second of all, why even subsequent to that? Has that school district created the same policy of sanctuary school district for illegal aliens? Now, I'm still traditional enough to figure that if there is a law on the books, there is a law on the books. It's a crime to enter this country illegally. Can't do it without presumably consequences. And yet you have uh, well in excess of 100 cities that are sanctuary cities. And now you've got the Milwaukee School District saying that if you're an illegal alien in our school district, we're going to protect you. I'll tell you very honestly, I hope that nothing happens in the public schools of Milwaukee with respect to illegal alien students. But if anything, God forbid, were to happen, as it did in Montgomery County, Montgomery County, Maryland, then I hope this school board is held joint and severally liable personally, each member personally, for violating the law by protecting criminals who are in this country illegally. I'm not suggesting people who only came into the country illegally be sent home. We're talking about the violent criminals being sent out of the country. But on the other side of that coin, you certainly don't condone the illegal behavior of ending the country without authorization by giving them sanctuary in the Milwaukee public schools in violation of federal law. How do these people sleep at night? It's as if in this country, illegal aliens get more protection than the rest of us. I mean, they do DUIs. Uh, some, of, some of these uh, illegal aliens, uh, there's rape, there's uh, assault, uh, there's murder. And it's as if it didn't happen. As if the people on the left somehow want to excuse that and not talk about it. You'll never hear Nancy Pelosi talk about it. You'll never hear Chuck Schumer talk about it. And the most demeaning aspect of their behavior is that on a personal level, Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer 
or the Democrats could not care less about the individual illegal aliens in this country. What they care about is that at some point in time, they're hoping they were going to become voters, and because they're coming in as impoverished people in the lower economic strata, if they become voters, of course they're going to vote Democrat because they're going to want big government programs. So these people are doing this for political reasons, not for uh, humanistic reasons, because if you did it for humanistic reasons, you would protect your own citizens first. In Montgomery County, Maryland, they didn't protect the 14-year-old girl, did they? And by the way, the, the uh, baloney about the allegation that she encouraged the sexual encounter with these boys is bogus. Because nobody wants to talk about the fact that she's 14 years old. It's called statutory rape. And a 14-year-old cannot give consent to sexual relations even though the defense attorneys are trying to pretend that's the case. So I would ask you the question. This vote was taken last night. Here we are on Friday after a Thursday night vote, and now if you live in Milwaukee and you have kids going to the Milwaukee schools, your kids are going to be there very reasonably suspecting that there will be illegal alien students there, and who knows what their background is. What do you make of this? Do you believe that the school board was correct in giving what they call safe haven to illegal alien students? Or should they have done more to protect the citizens, the residents, uh, the legal students in the public schools of the city of Milwaukee? Our number is 414-799-1620. And as you know, that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line 444-799-1620 and uh, I'm glad to get your calls I'd love to hear from you parents a lot of these stories today have been about our kids this is one that's a decision by a school board that in my opinion puts our, our student citizens and legal attendees of the Milwaukee Public Schools at risk not because all illegal alien students are criminals, violent criminals, but because there may be some among them like the ones we saw in Montgomery County, Maryland. And don't you take precaution to protect your own students. And what are these people on the school board going to say if there is a violent act by an illegal alien against a student in the Milwaukee Public Schools? What's what's their answer then to all of that? 414-799-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Mike Siegel in for Jeff Wagner. Good to have you with us. 1042 at 620 WTMJ. And back we are. Good to have you with us. Mike Siegel for Jeff Wagner at 620 WTMJ. Wednesday night's win over the East-leading Celtics was another check on the Bucks' red-hot run toward the playoffs. So why is tonight's game against the reeling Detroit Pistons more important for the team? Greg Matzik explains tonight on Sports Central. He starts at 6.07 this evening. We get back to our uh, troubling conversation. I would hope that there'd be a lot of you out there who have a point of view one way or the other. Milwaukee School District uh, School Board votes 8 to nothing last night to make the Milwaukee School District a safe haven for illegal alien students. Even though we just had that event in Montgomery County, Maryland, and who knows what the backgrounds are of these kids. And by the way, one other quick point. 
How does a teacher teach in a classroom where you have kids coming in from third world countries without ostensibly any real education? And isn't that going to hold back the students in class to begin with because the, that student uh, can't be just walked over by the teacher? There has to be some teaching to that student's level, which means it, it regresses the teaching for everybody else. That happened in Miami, by the way, when the Haitians came in who had no education, and everybody else was impeded in their education. And so you lose both on the educational level, the possibility of a safety problem, the economic cost, and, by the way, the legal arrogance of the Milwaukee School Board. Don in Milwaukee, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Uh, hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, bottom line is, the law is the law. Uh, what the sanctuary, so-called sanctuary cities are doing and what the school board is doing is criminal, and they should be held accountable and liable. I'll tell you what, if something happens to one of my kids, the school board's... I'm, I'm, yeah, the law's going to be the least of their worries because I'm going to take their bus to court and I'm going to push it until they're each held criminally liable also. Yeah, so uh, now do you, do, you have, do you have kids in the Milwaukee public schools? Yes. Well, you must, uh, you must be really uh, well, livid about this. Yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's ridiculous. How do, how? What's the rationality of this? How does it make any sense? And uh, that that they would do this? I, I can't see what any rationality is behind this. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, what do they think they're accomplishing? You know, because if something does happen to a child, whether it's mine or someone else's in the school, there's yeah, there's going to be a lot of problems. And the school board is going to go bury their heads in the sand somewhere and hope nobody finds them. Well, you know, I, to me, here's the point uh, to follow. In my opinion, the school board now has, in Milwaukee, has now advocated uh, support for violators of the federal law. Having done that, they're going to be held personally liable, potentially, as I mentioned earlier, because... The insurance company, for errors and omissions insurance, might say that this is not just negligence. This is an intentional act by the Milwaukee School Board with intent to protect people who have criminally violated immigration law. And therefore, we're not going to cover them. And therefore, they're going to be liable out of their own pockets for their, for their defense that you're talking about bringing a lawsuit if something happens to your child, God forbid. Uh, one of my boys or something's hurt. Yeah, it's it's a case where with them aiding and abetting, I don't see how they can't be held criminally liable. Also, well, yeah, it's it, it, it's uh, we haven't done that yet in this country, unfortunately, but we should. And um, I, I think with the attorney general now saying that uh, sanctuary cities are going to have funds withheld, uh, that they're going to pass a new law, probably in the Congress, to reinforce that point. Uh, that the arrogance of these cities across the country and here at the Milwaukee School Board uh, and its arrogance uh, will be held accountable. And look, if, if Milwaukee doesn't get federal funding for its school system from the Department of Education because it's, it's a sanctuary school district, what's that going to do to you and the other parents sending your kids to the Milwaukee public schools? Think about that. Our number, 414-799-1620. That, of course, is the Acunet uh, Talks and, text, and uh, text Line. And we're glad to get your calls about it. What do you think of this? 
If, some, if somebody out there wants to support what the school board did, I'd love to hear it. Really open to hearing the argument for this as to uh, why you would give sanctuary in a school to illegal aliens about whom you know very little. It's, uh, it's frankly stunning to me that this would take place. 414-799-1620. Again, that's the Acunet Mortgage Text and Talk Line, and it's good to have you with us. Uh, Mike Siegel in for Jeff Wagner, coming up now to 1052 at 620 WTMJ. Well, we go. Mike Siegel here. The school board in Milwaukee votes to make the Milwaukee School District a safe haven for illegal aliens. Your comments are certainly welcome. As we start with Ron in Waterford. Hello, Ron. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi there. Thanks for taking the call. I just got a question. Uh, when was the last time, or if there ever was one, a time that an immigration officer went to a Milwaukee public school or the board to either arrest an illegal alien or to even seek information from their records? And if well, they I'm, never have, then it would seem to me they're trying to come up with a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. Well, first thing is that the ICE ought to have the right to do that if somebody's violating the law. For example, if they find out that uh, there's an 18-year-old student, as there was in Maryland, who already has a uh, record of crimes in their background, then, this, then ICE is going to go to that school and, and pick up that student. Um, under Barack Obama, it wasn't going to happen because not only didn't he allow ICE to do that, but he didn't allow the Customs and Border Patrol to stop people at the border. They just came walking through, and the Customs, Customs and Border Patrol wound up uh, placing people rather than, in the United States rather than re rejecting them in many cases. So, and then in other cases, they were, in fact, returned back to their home uh, country, but in other cases, they were not. So there was not strict enforcement during the Obama years. And uh, really, there hasn't been strict enforcement uh, of immigration laws in this country since Dwight Eisenhower, if you think about it. Uh, no one's really enforced immigration laws very strictly. So your question's a good one. They haven't been doing that. Uh, but now this might conjure up that thought in ICE's uh, repertoire. Thanks for calling, Ron. Good question. Dick and Grafton, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Good morning. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think that the, the school board should have done this either. Your previous caller really asked a good question. Uh, it was. I, I, I agree with you that ICE and the police should have the ability to go into a school and arrest someone who's a criminal or is being uh, needs to be arrested. Uh, but how often does this happen in the first place? If ICE has never been in the Milwaukee schools, why are they making a big deal about this? I know why. You know why. It stirs the emotion of this emotional emotional issue. Right. All we're dealing with is the fact that we don't have a solution on a federal level to the illegal immigration problem. And I'm not advocating to, to, to box them up and ship them back home. We need to deal with this. The Obama administration was in business for eight years. They had at least two years of a supermajority, did not deal with it. Now... The Trump administration and the Republicans, they have almost a supermajority, a little short in the Senate, but what they need to do is come through with a comprehensive immigration bill to solve the problem. And that part of that solving the problem is going to be dealing with all of these people who are here without any documentation, i.e., they're here illegally. Yep. 
Good point. I appreciate it, and I thank you. And you've defined the problem. Uh, as you point out, though, we need a solution. And I think that this president and the attorney general and the secretary of Homeland Security are working on that precisely. They're increasing the vetting procedures for people coming in. Uh, they're talking about keeping people out from certain countries for 90 days, as we know. Lots is happening. If you're on the line, stay there. We'll take your call after the news at 620 WTMJ. back we are good to have you with us ladies and gentlemen my last hour of these uh, two great days we've shared together and i appreciate all of your um, response and conversation on the air some great calls and always appreciate that of course it is talk radio uh and it is the budget and it is time to talk about uh, the tax dollars that you're spending because governor scott walker has gotten into tweeting as you know and he has opposed raising gas taxes, even though Republicans on the Budget Committee in the legislature are talking about raising gas taxes. Uh, the governor has reiterated his opposition to a gas tax increase. He did that late Wednesday night a couple days ago when the Joint Finance Committee, in its budget briefing, focused on how to pay for road projects. There are some Republicans who support at least considering gas and vehicle fee increases. And I guess they're kind of putting it out there to see if there's a public reaction. I remember there was, when I was on the air in Boston, there was a number of years ago, there was uh, Governor King at the time wanted to increase gas taxes. Now, he was the governor. In this case, the governor doesn't want to do that. But he put it out there with a proposal so that he could get public response. It was kind of uh, kind of testing the water, so to speak. And I remember we did a segment on the air about it and gave out the, go the phone number to the governor's office, and people called overwhelmingly saying, we don't want a gas tax increase. And I think what's happening here is that the Republicans may not have great passion in supporting a gas tax increase or a vehicle fee increase, but they may be putting it out there to test the waters and see what kind of response they get, as was the case in Boston. The legislature, in part, says we don't want to uh, delay projects. And we don't want to borrow money, which is what Scott Walker, the governor, wants to do. He's talking, is the governor, about borrowing $500 million. And delaying some of the road projects. Now, so the question becomes for all of you, because you're the source of funding in this. You're the people driving your cars and your trucks, commercial vehicles. Do the roads, as far as you are concerned, need to have immediate repair? Can road projects be delayed, in your opinion? And do you justify, if you do think that the road projects should not be delayed, do you then support a gas tax increase and or a vehicle fee increase? as part of a long-term funding solution 
for doing these road projects. The governor tweeted, and I quote Governor Walker here, let's be clear, I don't support spending less on K-12 education than what's in my budget, and I will veto a gas tax increase, end quote. So what do you make of this? Driving is a huge part of our economy, a huge part of people's freedom to travel, and a uh, burden if there's an increased gas tax on the other side of the coin. How do you pay for the road projects if road projects need to be done and repairs are needed? So the question becomes, should the Republicans in the legislature increase the gas tax, increase the vehicle tax, and do these road projects immediately? Or should we go along with what the governor is saying and not increase the gas tax, not increase the vehicle tax, and delay some of the road projects and borrow $500 million to do what we need to do immediately. 414-799-1620 is our number, 414-799-1620. And as you know, uh, as we always say, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And it's a pleasure to have you with us. And uh, look, these are your dollars. And frankly, uh, your comments on this program today might have some great impact with the legislators who will certainly hear about what you have to say and um, help them formulate what they're going to do. If the people, if you feel that we don't need to do a compellingly immediate series of road projects that they can be delayed, then maybe you say we don't need the gas tax increase. But if you want these road projects done and done as quickly as possible, then, of course, you're going to need a way to pay for it. And what the, some Republicans are saying is a gas tax and a vehicle tax increase is one way to do it. The governor says, I'll veto it if it comes to my desk. I want to borrow $500 million and I want to delay some of the road projects. So what, which way would you go on this, and what's your thought about it? Are the road projects in that much need that we should do them immediately? 414-799-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, Mike Siegel in for... Jeff Wagner today, and uh, good to have you with us at 620 WTMJ. Coming up now to 1118, good morning to you. Mike Siegel in for Jeff Wagner today at 620 WTMJ. And do you want a gas tax and vehicle tax increase to pay for road projects immediately? I guess that's basically one way to look at it. Some Republicans in the legislature want to do that, but the governor says, I'll veto any gas tax increase or presumably any vehicle fee increase, if it comes to my desk, I want to delay some of the road projects and I'm going to borrow $500 million to do those that need to be done. Let's go to your thoughts about this. Tom in Whitewater, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello, Tom. Good morning. How are you today? Good, thanks. Well, good. Uh, I just have a couple of points that I would like to make. That uh, it, it seems like Governor Walker uh is trying to have it both ways you know he wants to uh he wants to have the roads plowed in the winter time but he doesn't want to pay the guy to do it uh and increasing the da- gas taxes uh you know if it has to be done to pay for road work it has to be done but it, it really doesn't target uh certain areas 
very well because, like the the guy that owns a hundred thousand dollar Tesla, he pays the same amount to register his car as I do with a 2009 Chevy Cobalt that I drive 50 miles a day on the public roads. And, and I've always felt that perhaps a increasing scale of registration fees based on the value of the vehicle might be the way to go. It, uh, it would not penalize lower-income folks, and it might hit people that can afford it a little harder. Well, you know, many states do that uh, already. Uh, based on value, they'll have sliding scales. Um, my friend just bought one of those cars, and you know he's going to pay through the nose because he lives in a different state. But um, you're right. That would be one way to do it, that if you want to buy something discretionary decision to buy a very expensive car, then um, presumably you have the wherewithal to pay a higher registration fee for that car. Tom, appreciate it. Thank you for calling. And, um, you know, the other thing is a gas tax increase is always going to hurt the poor and the lower income people far more because the gas tax is always going to be the same at every gas pump. That's just the way it has to be uh, constitutionally and just practically, too. So the poor and the lower income are going to get hit hardest on that and also people living in rural areas. Uh, there are people in rural areas who might travel 20 miles, 30 miles or more to go shopping, for example, to their nearest uh, supermarket or mall or whatever. And uh, how fair is it to them uh, living in a rural area without great income to have to pay an increased gas tax? Gary in Pewaukee, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hi, hello. Uh, I'm for uh, raising the gas tax. Uh, basically, it's a user fee if uh if you drive down the road and you you use the road you you pay to use the road and uh, we all, it also has the advantage of you know, pick up some out of state money as people uh heavy truckers travel through the state uh they certainly have wear and tear on the road their 40,000 pound rig has a lot more wear and tear than my 3,000 pound car um catch some of that money and get some uh, out-of-state tourism money as they use our roads as well. And, um, you know, as far as, you know, fairness, uh, I mean, everybody's going to make a decision on what size car you have and how much mileage you get. If um, if you want to drive around in a in a large car or a, uh, uh, you know, a big SUV and get 20 miles to the gallon, or if you want to drive a uh, sedan and get 30 that's your choice as well um you know it's um, it that decision is not necessarily a decision between rich and poor it's a it's a this economic decision on on uh, how you want to get around and oh, that's uh, true and and, yeah. and you make some good points i appreciate it the only thing i'd say is uh i've done some vacationing uh over the years several times in hayward up north and um uh, People there living in modest incomes, and it's a rural area. They've got to travel, and uh, they're the ones that are going to get hit hardest by any gas tax increase. Michael in Jamesville, home of the speaker. Michael, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Michael, thanks for taking my call. I just am totally not for raising the gas tax. I drive 120 miles one way to work every single day. 
And I guess it's, I look at it, it's really easy for these officials to turn around and say, yeah, hey, let's raise this gas tax one. Well, they're not paying for their fuel. Their fuel is coming out of our pockets. You know, the registration on all the state-owned vehicles, we're paying for all that. So, you know, and just like the guy, I drive an O2 Monte Carlo. I get 30 miles to a gallon. And I just cannot see being justified on having to pay 30 cents more at the pump because my 2,500-pound car is driving 200 and some miles a day round trip for me to go to work. I mean, I'm not sitting here struggling for money. But it's not us, the cars, they're doing the damage to the roads. It's the semis that, and the weight of the semis that is destroying the roads more than anything else. Plus, it's just pure lack of maintenance on our state's part of taking care of these roads. Right. Well, of course, roads deteriorate over time. You get some severe weather that helps to create problems. You go from very cold to very hot. Roads contract and expand and crack and all of that. And so uh, there is maintenance needed, uh, but the question is, how do you pay for it? How severe is the problem? Uh, do you need to fix it immediately and then use the gas tax as a way to do that? I appreciate the call, and he's got the problem. He travels 120 miles each way to go to work. Now, somebody's going to say, live closer to work, I suppose, but, you know, the gentleman lives where he lives, and uh, he's going to get hit hard uh, by an increase in the gas tax. All right, our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Glad to get more of your calls. If you're on the line, stay right there at 620 WTMJ. 1127, good morning at 620 WTMJ. The state of North Carolina has repealed its controversial bathroom bill, but many are still not happy. Why are so many still upset over that state policy? Well, uh, Scafidi and Billstead have the answer for you at 1235 this afternoon. At 620 WTMJ, we go to your calls. Robert in Door County on this uh, gas tax proposal. Hello, Robert. Uh, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I, I agree with, with several of the gentlemen that we have to pay for it. And nobody has said nothing about how much more it's going to cost. The farther you put it down the road as far as putting off the jobs, the more it's going to cost. Plus, then you add the interest on what jobs are going to do now, so it ends up costing more. Our legislators have to figure out one way or another, whether it's raised gas tax or the gentleman with this, the expensive car you buy, you pay more. And nobody said anything about toll roads. Maybe it's time we set up some toll roads. But something has to be done to keep our roads. They're the heart of our, our civilization. And I appreciate it. The trucks paying more, they're the heart of our <laughs> of the consumer. Everything we get comes by truck, so you can't overdo them either so i don't know what the really answer is but putting it off is definitely not the answer especially door county brings millions and millions of dollars okay. from from tourists that come up this way and we all right have I... roads for them to come on thank you sir very much uh yeah there is a lot from tourism in this state uh and uh, the trucks do do all of that of course if you raise the taxes on the trucks then you're going to raise the prices of the goods in the trucks to the consumer, so it's a, you can't win either way. Dave in Brookfield, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. The problem here is that everybody is all or nothing. Why can't we have a moderate gas tax increase and a moderate increase in the registration fees to spread the pain out over everything? 
what happens here is everybody says, well, the poor are going to pay too much. Let's soak the rich. There's not enough rich people driving Teslas to raise enough money. Why is it always all or nothing? That's a good question, and but there is another way to do it. Fellow said earlier, have a sliding scale based on the the value of the car at the time you register the car. Have a sliding scale of cost to register. Try to make that so incredibly high that it's totally unpalatable. They go way too far and swing the pendulum to try to get all this money, and instead of spreading it out to usage and the value of your car, you would well, have do this both. problem. You need to make everybody a little unhappy. Instead, I of hear you, sir, and that's a and you uh, can't the, protect the poor from all extra fees. I mean, I, I appreciate that, and I thank thank you for calling. Uh, no, you can't protect people from everything. You can try to take it into account. Meantime, it's coming up to eleven thirty. We're back at it. Good to have you with us. Coming up now to. 11.35 at 6.20 WTMJ. Mike Siegel in uh, for Jeff Wagner today. You get to know the people behind the headlines at Insight 2017, hosted by Jeff at the uh, Country Springs Hotel in Pewaukee on Wednesday, April 19th. Uh, Jeff goes one-on-one -on -one with the voice of the Packers, Wayne Larravee, and that should be a great conversation. Wayne's a terrific play-by-play -play guy. Less than a week before the 2017 NFL Draft. Get the inside scoop. From Wayne or the Packers' needs and what the Packers' needs are, the reinforcements for Aaron Rodgers, how the team plans to get back to the NFC Championship game. Only 39 days left until Insight 2017. Be a huge day. Great conversation with Wayne Larrabee. So get your tickets now. See the full guest list at WTMJ.com. All right, let's go back to your calls. The gas tax increase proposal by some Republican legislators. Uh, maybe the vehicle increase as well, vehicle licensing increase. Joe in Milwaukee, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? Good. Well, what should they do? They should do like uh, set, the, set the cost and increase the tax 1% like they did with the stadium. Increase the cost of what? Increase the tax 1% like they did with the stadium. When they build the stadium, they increase the tax. And we pay extra 1% until it got paid off. So you're saying 1%? Yeah. Well, of course, if you you know about government. Uh, when you say until it's paid off, when you have a tax from government, it, it never goes away, right? I mean, it's going to stay forever. So you would, you would increase the gas tax by 1% then. And that would be... Uh, that might be manageable. It wouldn't be uh, the 30 cents a gallon, but it, would, it could be uh, done that way. Somebody called earlier and said, have a modest tax increase so that uh, everybody gets hit a little bit. Uh, Ken in Random Lake. Hello, Ken. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm normally not, a, not in favor of paying extra taxes, and my wife drives quite a ways to work every day. However, I'm paying for the bad roads with alignments, new tires, uh, new shock absorbers, all of those things that bad roads cause. I'm on right now in between. I'm going west from Fond du Lac on Highway 23, and it is extremely rough. Uh, so I'm paying for those things anyway. 
and I'm going to pay for the interest on a loan. So uh, how am I going to pay the interest on the loan? Why not, as the caller before me said, a modest increase in gas tax and a modest increase in car registration, uh, maybe based based on value, I don't know. Uh, I drive a 13-year-old vehicle, but let's let's do something so that we can repair our roads. I, uh, to me, uh, basing it on the the present day book value, retail value of the vehicle, uh, is is what would uh, work very well. Uh, because then it's discretionary. If you decide to buy an expensive car, you buy it knowing, uh, properly so, by the way, that your registration fee is going to be higher than the guy that has a, uh, you know, a 1997 Chevy. Um, just the way it is. So I think and that would be one way to do it. The, the guy who's driving 120 miles a day to work, my wife used to do that. Well, we moved. Uh, we moved uh, closer, and she, or she actually she ended up getting a job closer to home. Uh, there's a, that's his choice. No and question. He can, and he can buy a vehicle that gets 50 miles to the gallon uh, if he so chooses. He can buy one of those half cars that um, you know comes out second best with a head-on collision with a dog. But it uh, it gets great grass mileage. Well, you can also buy an electric car. I mean, there are some that are reasonably priced nowadays, and they're not all Tesla. I mean, you can buy them uh, for a more modest cost nowadays. So, I mean, there are ways to do this. Um, but you're right. And but but I just think um, if you do it by value of the present at the present time, uh, then then you're you're being fair to everybody. If somebody who's buying an expensive car presumably can afford a more expensive uh, registration fee. Thank you for calling, too. Good to talk to you, Ken. And a lot of this is discretionary. You don't have to drive long distances if you choose to live in another location. But, you know, on the other hand, why should you have to move um, and then lose that uh, quality of life that uh, presumably you want living where you do? Bill and Racine, you're on 620 WTMJ. Thanks, Mike. Sure. Um, let's maybe think about it proportionately what was when was the last time they raised the gas tax what was the average miles per gallon at that time what's the average miles per gallon now what's the proportion between the average then and the average now raise the gas tax that proportion um, most people probably have gotten a different car from the last time the the mileage was raised so uh, it's it would be equal then and now yeah, that, that that you could do it proportionally if you want to do it that way. That's absolutely correct from the last time to today. Um, but, you know, in the end, I think one of the things we're getting here is that uh, pay me now or pay me later, so to speak. If, if you don't fix the roads and they get worse, uh, you're going to wind up, as he said, with a front-end alignment, with uh, tires, shock absorbers. Um, just the, the whole frame of the car could become jolted. I'm not getting. I don't want to get carried away here, but the fact is that um, repairs are needed to the roads, and re and roads do break down. It just happens. So, uh, and then if you want to put it all on the trucks, you wind up with the problem that uh, their increase is going to be passed along to the consumer who buys the products that are in the truck. So you pay one way or the other. 
Chris in Milwaukee, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello, Chris. Hey, well, thanks for taking my call. Um, appreciate it. Sure. I just want to state um, my position. I agree with the governor's position. I'm against raising the gas tax, and there's a few reasons. I'll give you one. Um, the DOT, I mean, we've seen that audit came out. We've seen a lot of waste and mismanagement. The idea we would give them more money um, just makes no sense because they're wasting some of the money they're getting now. A second point I would make is that, you know, we learned earlier this year that the state is taking in about additional $700 million in additional tax revenue. So there's record re- we have record revenues. The money's there. So transportation is a major priority. We can cut elsewhere and live within our means. Yeah, the other thing, too, uh, that hasn't come up, uh, I've talked to state auditors around the country when I've done programs in different uh, states or cities, and the common theme I get is that if you do full-fledged what are called performance audits of, uh, of your agencies of government, where you see where there's duplication, whether there's a supervisor over two people getting a supervisory salary and there are only two people under them or one person, which happens, uh, that then you maybe consolidate and uh, eliminate some of that uh, supervisory position because it's not needed. Uh, If you have uh, waste, uh, for example, when you're buying uh, products in one department or supplies uh, just for that department, when if you bought for the whole state in one bulk sum, you pay less per unit than you would by buying in department by department. So there are much more that they go into with performance audits, and they tell me that you can almost always save 10% of your budget by efficiency in that regard. So that's another way you can go with that. Uh, Chris, appreciate the call. Thank you. Ron and Allenton. Hello, Ron. You're on 620 WTMJ. All right, well, then Ron is done. We'll come back, and uh, I guess he's out there driving his car to test the roads. In the meantime, your calls are welcome. We'll get into some other things as well. Mike Siegel and for Jeff Wagner. It's great to have you with us. It's 1143 at 620 WTMJ. Back we are. Good to have you with us. And uh, welcome into the program. If you're just joining us, you missed a great deal. And uh, delighted to be here at 1148 at 620 WTMJ. Of course, uh, Jeff Wagner will be here first thing Monday morning, 835, broadcasting live from the Brewers' dugout. It uh, should be a lot of fun for that entire program, and so be here for that. Our number is 414-799-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There's a very troubling case uh, that came up earlier in the week in Waukesha County. It turns out, and it has to do with kids, and it has to do again with this problem of young people getting on the Internet online to these very dangerous apps or websites or chat rooms, whatever they may be, a 44-year-old New Berlin man was charged this past Tuesday. What he did was to pose online as a Brookfield teenager. His purpose? Get underage girls, and it wound up getting at least under uh, underage girls in at least four states to send him pornographic photos of themselves. Very sick guy. His name is Craig D. Miller. He's facing 18 felony counts. These include causing mental harm to a child, sexual exploitation of a child, possession of child pornography, exposing his genitals to a child, and identity theft causing harm. 18 complaints. What this guy did, and this is how 
dangerous these pedophiles are, and you have to be careful, and parents need to be very proactive in knowing what their young people are doing online, who they're talking to. He used photos of a New Jersey teenage male to construct his fake cyber identity. Now, this guy, Craig D. Miller, called himself Andy Harrington and pretended he was a 19-year-old college student. It turned out that a 16-year-old Indiana girl tried to kill herself after she saw online that so-called friends of Harrington told her that Harrington had tried to kill himself. Remember, Harrington was actually this fellow Miller, and the friends were not friends at all. It was all Miller pretending that other people were concerned about the fact that he had tried to kill himself. So this girl, in despair over this guy she believed was trying to kill himself, did the same. And she tried to kill herself. Luckily, she didn't. According to the complaint, this guy Miller would exert control and psychological pressure on these fragile girls to get them to comply with his requests for pornographic photos and videos, and that's all in the complaint. That's how the complaint reads. And he got these girls to take selfies uh, in uh, basically pornographic visuals that he would use, that they he sent the, these girls sent him, and he would keep them and use them. Now, the investigators went to his home with a search warrant. They found phones, computers well-organized files on 17 people, including, by the way, this young fellow Harrington, 20-year-old New Jersey guy, whose nearly 700 photos police say that this fellow Miller used as Harrington. In other words, he co-opted the young fellow's photos without the uh, innocent young fellow Harrington knowing it to pretend that he was Harrington himself. There were complaints about people living in Colorado, Kentucky, and Wisconsin right here. And uh, it got to the point where there was a girl in Kentucky, 15 years old, became so terrified when she learned that Harrington, who she thought was this young guy, was actually Miller, this pedophile. She would not leave her home. That's how scared he got her. It's like the victim from Wisconsin was from Fond du Lac. Now you have to ask yourself the question, what do you do about these people? What do you do about this guy who intentionally, and you can do this interstate, and Wisconsin had a victim itself, but here he is in the state of Wisconsin from New Berlin, and he is basically compelling, seducing, enticing these young girls to send him pornographic pictures of themselves, selfies, digitally, that he then used. And uh, there were so, as I said, there are 18 counts against him. But the bottom line question is, what do we do about this guy? You almost feel like you want to lock him up and throw away the key, basically because he's sick. And it's one thing if somebody robs a bank and you rehabilitate that person. You know, somebody could do that out of desperation. They might not be a career criminal. It might not be in their genetics that they commit crimes. 
They felt pressured because of economic circumstances. I'm not justifying it. They have to pay the penalty. But robbing a bank is not a sickness. It's a criminal act. This guy is sick. And so now what do you do about him? Because he's going to wind up getting back out and doing it all over again someplace else is the problem. Your thoughts are welcome. 414-799-1620. And, of course, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Mike Siegel here. 1154. Your calls are next at 620 WTMJ. And back we are. It's been great, folks. Love being with you the last couple of days. Jeff gets back Monday morning, 835, from the Brewers' dugout. Right now, Scavini and Billstad get started. And, guys, what's going on today? Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm doing all right. Had a great couple of days. 